Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Uh, good morning, guys. Um, great, to, great to be with you. Um, I don't know about you, but I have loved, over the summer, I have loved the, the Meet the Family series and the, just this, the, what, the power of it, but also the just getting to know people as well. It's, it's been really great. You'll notice we have one chair today. It's really sad that the person that we're interviewing has had to self-isolate, so we will have a video later on. It's not quite the same, but we're making the most of, of what we can do under these um, circumstances. Um, but let, let's do a little bit of a, a recap. Last, last week, um, Phil was looking in the, the, the book of Ruth and he interviewed um, Olive and so powerful and, and this really precious conversation that you got to hear of people that were navigating and, and walking through um, grief um, and what God had done. And he was looking in the, the book of Ruth and he used the little phrase, um, a disobedient God, whenever God doesn't do what you want them to do, or he doesn't answer prayers in the way that you would like him to, and the disappointment that comes with that. And we're going to be touching on that a little bit um, later as we, as we talk and as we go through. What do we do whenever um, we're faced with disappointment, whenever God doesn't show up or turn up in the way that we really expect him to, or want them to. And we're going we're gonna to stay in the book of Ruth. Um, and th- this time, instead of Phil was sort of looking at it from Naomi's perspective, we're going to be looking at it today um, from Ruth, um, the angle of Ruth herself, um, from her experience in, in this story. But l- let me give you a really quick recap of, of sort of what happens in the, the book of Ruth. And we'll sort of try to move through this really, really quickly. And most of the thoughts, just so you can keep track, most of the, maybe the little verses that I use or the thoughts that I, I use will come through um, the chapter two. So that's sort of where I'm landing a little bit of the, the thoughts. But if, if, we, if we do a little bit of, uh, if we do a bit of a, a recap, okay? So Naomi and her husband Elimelech, okay, have moved from Bethlehem, their home, to Moab because of a famine, Okay. Um, that's a really bold move because the Moabites and the Israelites um, are not that friendly. So they've made this decision almost to go into enemy territory because of the famine. As they, they live there um, with their two sons, um, tragedy strikes and Naomi's husband um, dies. Um, her two sons go on to marry women from Moab. And 10 years after her husband's death, her two sons die. And we're left in this story with, with three widows and this story of, of, of heartache and of brokenness of these three widows. And time passes and over that, through this experience, um, Naomi changes her name to mean bitter because she felt that God had dealt really harshly with her. And she makes a decision to, to head back to Bethlehem and in that moment, Orpa and Ruth, her two daughters-in-law, are going, right, we will go, we will go with you. And very early on that sort of preparation and the moving out, um, Naomi stops and says, look, I have nothing left to offer you. I have nothing to give. So look, will you please just return home, go back to your family, 
find someone to marry, go after happiness. And Orpa in that moment makes a decision to go, okay, I will, I, I will go back. But Ruth decides and is almost really um, stubborn that she is going with Naomi. And the two of them head back to, um, into Bethlehem. And I don't know if it's um, her initiative, survival instincts, the fact that they had to eat. Um, Ruth um, kicks in and she goes, right, I'm going to go. And um, they're allowed to pick up the grain that's left over in the fields. And she goes, right, I'm going to go out and start doing this. Um, she ends up working in a man called Boaz's field. Okay, She works in Boaz's field. And Boaz notices her. Okay, So Boaz notices her. And he ends up showing her just kindness and, and real favor. And it turns out that Boaz is a, a close family relative, okay? And in those days, whenever he's a close family relative, he can sort of redeem or buy back everything that, um, that Naomi had. And that would include then marrying Ruth. And in this beautiful story, there's this story of restoration where Boaz, with a little bit of planning and meddling from a mother-in-law, ends up marrying um, Ruth. And she has just shown this unprecedented kindness as this stranger that has been welcomed in. And so if, if we try and sort of recap or sort of do an overview of you, Ruth, what are we seeing? We're seeing this sheer pain and brokenness, like just like tragedy after tragedy of going, okay, and another wave has hit. And then somewhere entangled into this is this beauty that's emerging out of the pain and this beauty that's starting to creep in through all of the brokenness. And I feel like that, that the book of Ruth just whispers to us. And it almost, for me, it almost caresses your soul because the, the book of Ruth is found in a really dark point of history of what's going on on either side of it. It's found in this really dark moment. And it almost says like, beauty can come out of the brokenness. There is beauty that can um, come out of the brokenness. Beauty can come from the brokenness. And I don't know about your experience and your journey in life or where you find yourself even at this exact moment. But the, the book of Ruth just whispers deep into our souls that out of the brokenness and out of the pain, there is beauty that come, come from that. And it doesn't necessarily take away the brokenness and the pain, but beauty emerges alongside and entangles and entwines in it. And I suppose that's one of the points that we really get from Ruth. Because sometimes we look at our lives and we have this idea of as we follow after God and whenever I'm serving him and whenever I'm going after him, of, of what our lives then should look like and almost what the favor of God over our lives should look like. We feel like it should all go okay. <laughs> and yet the reality is that, that entangled into our, our story of redemption, of God's great love story, towards you and towards me, entangled into this. There's these moments of just complete disappointment. And I, I think as we grow and we mature in our faith, we begin to realize that we have to hold the two of these together. That the, the, the disappointment, that the pain, that the brokenness, and the actual favor and the love and the kindness of God, that they're not mutually exclusive. But somewhere in the story, the two of them are entangled together in God's great redemption. And sometimes in our lives, in those moments where we feel most broken, the, the, the moment when you feel that you 
don't have that much more to give and where your world has almost stopped. In some strange way, in those moments, we experience the glimmers of the kindness of God most intensely. And we know and we experience his presence along, um, alongside us. And you know what? This little um, book reads really quickly. 15 minutes, okay? 15 minutes you could be reading through the book of Ruth. And it moves really quickly. And you, uh, like within these short periods, you've moved from like sort of disappointment to, to joy, emptiness to abundance. Like the, the story gets restored really quickly. You flick over a couple of pages and you're there. You're at the good bit. You're at the happy ending. And it's amazing. And sometimes whenever we hear people's stories and sometimes whenever we read um, the stories of the Bible, we, we read it in the condensed version. And in the condensed version, we sort of skip over or we skim over the pain that's happening in these people's lives. People were dying in the story. The grief and the deep ache and the pain that was going on in that is all happening in these short pages. And we move forward really quickly to the good bit. And the reality is, in our lives, we don't have the option and we don't have the opportunity to skip to the good bit. We don't have the, the, the opportunity to skim over the pain. The reality is we don't even know if the good bit exists. We don't know what's happening and we don't know what's coming. And in those moments, as we skip and maybe as we skim, we, we miss out on the humanity, the fragility, the, the turmoil of some of the courageous decisions that had to be make, made, the, 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 the tears that were cried in, in, in prayer, we miss out in all of those moments and all of that emotion because we, we think, oh, we should be getting to the end point really, really quickly. And often we can't skip and we can't jump to the good, but it, it almost has to be waded through. We're wading through in waves to try and keep moving forward. And I think that the book of Ruth just gives us a little bit of the reality of that. It gives us, I love what Steve was talking about, it just gives us the sheer hope. Oh, like the, we, we are following after Jesus because of the hope that he brings to our lives. But the reality is at times we need to wade and through. The kindness and the favor of God, his goodness over our lives, um, sometimes sits in the place of our disappointment and our pain and in our brokenness. And I, I think God is big enough to take how we feel at times. Uh, some of you may know our journey. Ruth and I have three kids. Our, our, our third wee boy, before he was born, was diagnosed with quite a serious heart condition that was going to... Things were not looking good at that point, and he's been through quite a few sort of surgeries. There's more to come. And I remember in that moment, so I'd seen enough of God's power that I didn't doubt that. I did not doubt God's power. And in that moment, you were experiencing his goodness or his, his love towards you. It was the goodness bit that I actually really struggled with because in that moment, none of this seemed good. None of this seemed good. I, I couldn't see any good outcome from this and the reality is that that's a place that we sometimes just need to wrestle in 
and we actually don't get many answers from. And then slowly, again, this book of Ruth whispers to us that beauty can come from the brokenness. There's some beauty that can come from the brokenness in the transformation even that happens within us through those moments. Okay, so what do we want to land on as we think about, uh, as we think about Ruth? One of the things that whenever I see the story of Ruth, I am going, Ruth clings on. Okay, so this moment, whenever Naomi is telling her, go back, go after happiness, go get married, don't take this journey on, don't take this road on, Ruth clings on. And this moment, whenever she's in brokenness, her husband has died, she has no kids, um, hopes and dreams are dying in that moment with it. And in that moment, Ruth says, you know what, I'm going to cling on. And that famous line that comes from Ruth is that, not, not, uh, that where you go, I will go. And your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And this, this moment when she's clinging on to Naomi, she's also clinging on to her God. And this really brave decision from this girl who is leaving everything familiar. And if I'm honest, I had a real hunch and a little nudge of the Holy Spirit whenever I was preparing this for people that feel like they're in that Ruth moment where they've decided to follow after God and it's actually really unfamiliar. Your background and your story, church life, all of that feels really new and you've made this decision to follow after God but then you've been hit with with trouble and difficulty and challenges and everything within you and every voice around you is just saying, just go back. Just go back to the way you did life before. Just go back. And in that moment, we see that Ruth clings on and she held on. And I probably say that really strongly today. If there's people that are listening online that are here this morning and you have the voices in your head saying, just go back. Just go back to the way things were before. This is too difficult. Can I encourage you to cling on? Can I encourage you to hold on and to not give up? And even the impact that COVID and the disruption to being together in church has had on so many of our lives that we can be in a point where Maybe you never thought you'd even think like that, that you could ever imagine walking away from Jesus. And yet all of this disruption and the lack of routine and everything that's happened, you find yourself with these just little thoughts that you never thought you would think. Can I encourage you to cling on? Can I encourage you to hold on? The other thing, the next thing is that um, Ruth is an outsider. So she arrives into Bethlehem. Okay, she arrives into Bethlehem as the outsider. And uh, so you, you, you've got this, this girl arriving into this very close-knit community. Naomi's returning home, but this is not home for Ruth. And I've said before, for the, for the Moabites and the Israelites, they're not on the friendliest of terms. And she's walking into this hostile territory. 
and we don't know what the reactions were like for people. We don't know how people treated her. We're not given that bit of insight into her, into her story. But we know that um, she does have to be careful where she goes, and her life could be in danger at times, and she has to be really wise. And this, this story where, uh, where, where Ruth is the outsider, she just doesn't really fit in. She is even counted a little bit like the enemy of being in a foreign place. And I don't know if, if sometimes we can, we can find ourselves in that place, even with deep pain and deep loss, that actually in a moment your life can change and everything feels foreign. Everything feels that this doesn't make sense anymore and it doesn't even feel like my life anymore that we feel a little bit like the, like the outsider. And I wonder for the people around us here this morning, I wonder about the people in, in your extended circle of influence, if there's people there that feel like the outsider, if there's people there that feel on the edge, and that maybe even through their life experience are having a really difficult time. And they're just, they're there, they're clinging on, but they just, they're feeling, what, what, what's going on here? And I wonder if there's people that we rub shoulders with each day that are feeling that. And uh, we, we, we move on in this bit and we see the real power of welcome. This, the amazing power of welcome because we have Ruth arriving in and did the twang of her accent give it away were people hostile to her we don't know what was going on but in this moment okay Boaz recognizes her Boaz sees her and everything changes everything changes because suddenly this outsider this foreigner um, Boaz says to her don't you go to any other field because you belong here. And see the power that there is in belonging for people. It's immense. Don't go to any other field because you belong here. Stay here. This is your place. And then he says to her, on a shame, come over here and get some bread. He welcomes her in around the table. Come over here. And in this moment, you're, you're just seeing Ruth and she is completely undone. She's completely undone. She's like, why are you showing me this favor? Why are you showing me this favor? I found favor in your eyes, me, the foreigner. Why are you showing me this favor? And like, is this not what happens to us with Jesus? Is this not the kingdom of God? That people that are on the outside with all of our brokenness, with all of our baggage, of feeling that we don't fit in because of maybe the pain and the brokenness that is going on in our life at the moment, because of the journey or where we've came from, we feel that we don't fit in. And he says, come over here. We look at the life of Jesus and he's always pulling people into a meal. He says, come over here and eat. Come and sit with me in the beach and we'll eat some food. Come and let me restore you and draw you back in to relationship. The kingdom of God is about welcome. Matthew 22, it talks about a wedding feast and people can't be bothered turning up. And then it says, just go and take the invitation to anybody that you can find and welcome them in. 
The kingdom of God is about welcome. And he welcomes us in. And I think the little thought that I have today is this power of welcome, of how do we welcome people in? How are we welcoming people in? That, that sense of giving someone belonging, of noticing them, of seeing them, that there's power in welcome. And I have this little thought in my head that as we pray and long for a move of God, that maybe how we open the doors of our homes is just as important as how we open the doors of our churches. How we welcome people around our table is just as important as how we fill the pews of a church. Don't underestimate the power of your home. Whatever it looks like, however tidy it feels, don't underestimate the power of your home, of the welcoming in and of the giving people and belonging. And you know what the amazing thing is? Uh, Ruth isn't this unnecessary sort of bolt-on, an unnecessary accessory that we'll just bring her in and we'll set her over there on the edge. You know, we'll give her a wee place. Ruth ends up in the lineage of David and ultimately Jesus. The kingdom is about welcome and Ruth is brought right to the very center of it. This, this, this foreigner, this outsider, this broken girl is brought right into the lineage of King Jesus. This is what the kingdom and the welcome of the kingdom does to our lives. It fully changes and transforms our destiny. We're going to switch gear a little and um, we're going to listen to uh, um, the video that's coming um, from Claire Emerson's great Mark and Clara are here this morning. They need no welcome to us. Um, legends around our church. But um, listen up as we listen to Claire. She is devastated that she can't be sitting next to us. It just feels different when we're doing it in person. But we've made the most of what we, of what we can. Hi, Claire. Hi, Rick. It is, and thanks so much um, for, for doing this. I know this is not the way we planned it. We would have loved to have had you um, sitting on the sofa beside us this morning, but yeah. um, we're really thankful um, for you being willing to do that. Um, so let, let, let's start. I know that lots of people know the legends that are Clara and Mark um, about, about Emmanuel, but for those who don't, give us a wee quick of introduction of you and, and family. Yeah, I am. Um, hi, everybody. I'd love to be with you, but anyway, um, I am Claire. For, I, you get to these things and you can't remember your name. But anyway, I am Claire and I'm married to Mark. And Clara is almost our almost 16 year old and Michael is 12. And he and I are on isolation day four. OK, so you, you, you've told us a little bit about you. The, the, the story of Ruth it, it, like the centerpiece of this is is this moment in Ruth, the darkest time in Ruth's life. She just clings on. So she clings on. So there's this moment where she's clinging on to Naomi, but there's a sense that she's clinging on to, to something more, you know. And uh, for you, in, in, in a little bit of your um, journey, moments when you've had to cling on, yeah. um, 
Can you tell us a wee bit about that, um, Claire? Yeah, so, so Mark and I have been married for 24 years. Um, and I suppose like many people, I was thinking this as I reflected, you know, when you meet your Boaz, um, part of that is, is your, your, the dreams that you have together, isn't it? Your plans and what you want to do with your lives together. So, I mean, um, when we'd been married about two years, and I know that some people kind of know our story, but I'm telling it as if uh, no one knows it. But um, yeah, so we started the journey of infertility and childlessness. And I suppose as time went on, long story short, we knew that that wasn't going to happen. And you know that was that, that was a hard time. I mean, we had we were in that that stage of life where all your friends are doing that, and our young nephews were being born, and we absolutely loved them, and we lots of great kids in our lives. But the the sense of um, being different and behind everybody else, being a bit stuck, I would say, um, and a bit. I it was a very isolating childlessness is isolating because as as um, as surrounded as you are by amazing people, you're trying to deal with this, the stuff that you're that's that you're going through that you can't do anything about. And even though we were passionate about adoption and probably knew that that's where we our story would go, um, everything's just so lengthy and and takes so much time. So um, we had struggled with that a couple of years, and then as part of that process, we decided to go on holiday, um, get a bit of distance as you do, and my parents came with me. Um, they came with us and we had 10 days in the States. So we had a great holiday, we, we did what we needed to, we got away and and again, long story short, um, uh, on, on the last day of that holiday, I went to get my mum and dad and they were in, in their bedroom. And when I got to the room, my dad was on the phone and uh, my young 23 year old brother, so I'm the eldest and he's the youngest and Stephen's in the middle. And he had, it was very clear from the phone call and the, the atmosphere in the room that something was very wrong. And uh, my brother Graham at 23 had taken his own life. And I guess, you know, time just stands still. It just, you know, it's before and after um, that experience. I know some people will understand that feeling. Um, and we were in the States, we were away from our family. We, we had to travel back to New York that day. Um, we had a seven hour delay there. It just, it was like a bit of a, an out of body experience, a surreal floating above your own life experience. And I remember stopping on the way back to New York and American families were having a day out. You know, it was a Sunday when we heard and um, they, were, they were having a day out and you were just thinking, no, this shouldn't be happening. Life, life has changed, and and this is this is beyond anything that that, that we feel we should should live. And when we got home, you know, you, you just knew you were coming home to abject grief, and not a fan, not just a family in pain, but a larger family and a community, and um, just an outpouring of what was shock and a very very surreal feeling of knowing that. You know, he was 23, he had everything to live for, he was popular and he was gone and it was just staggering, really. I reflected, I was thinking about, you know, you know, those scriptures that say, you know, Isaiah says, I am undone. And, you know, before you go on to the things that maybe kind of helped you, the spiritual, you know, you'd, you'd always grown up knowing that God was good, that he was present, but it, you weren't seeing the evidence of that. It didn't feel, it felt like he was very distant. Um, 
and and it, it, he felt silent and you know i was i was reading in psalm 69 save me god the waters have come up to my neck i sink in the miry depths and you know it talks about losing your foothold and that's very much what it felt like any sea swimmers there will know that if you lose your foothold in deeper water and the waves start coming well maybe you can cope with one but they keep coming don't they and just that onslaught of wave after wave of grief and disbelief and bargaining and how can this be happening and and just the pain of seeing other people in pain or in pain and not being able to do anything about that when it had been our own our own childlessness it was just mark and i but to see my family in abject pain and not be able to do anything about it was was so difficult and i guess some of our questions came out of the fact that we knew that one one touch from god would have changed it you know if he had stepped in um he could have changed the outcome and and where do you go with that where do you go with those questions um i suppose there was something in what the book of ruth you know you get to that stage you you it's kind of like a where you go i will go feeling um i don't understand this i don't get it i don't want to be here in this unknown territory yet i will go where you go and i will go follow this path that you're taking us on. We have no idea where it's going. And in either sense, even though Graham's, the loss of Graham swamped everything else that we'd been through, we'd have done that a thousand times if we could have kept him, but it doesn't work that way. And we just feel, we feel the emotion of that as well. You know, we feel like even the, the journey. And I think it highlights again, the fact that there's, there's no quick fixes and there's no short circuit you know to, to to sort of get to the end goal actually it it's, it's a change that that happens in that moment and i suppose whenever we look into the, the the book of ruth there's this beautiful moment whenever then boaz sees ruth and actually both of their lives change from that moment and there's a restoration and a favor that actually comes not only upon Ruth's life and Naomi's life, but upon Boaz as well. There's almost this sense of, of, of a completion coming. Um, can, can we talk a wee bit about that as well? Yeah, I suppose it's the idea of uh, beauty from ashes, isn't it? I've thought about that recently as I've reflected, you know, and um, going from destitution, you know, and famine and the arid place, which is what I feel grief and waiting is like, to restoration. And I think the, the really amazing thing about it is we know Ruth's entire story. We see the story, but we don't see the story of our own lives. You know, people who are going through stuff this morning, they don't know how their story concludes or whatever they're waiting for, how that is going to finish. And we didn't know that either. And I suppose, you know, and we've lots of adopters and fosters who will know, um, you know, it's an arduous process. We were so compassionate and so passionate about adoption but it's a it's a top heavy kind of cumbersome process and mm -hmm. um, lots of waiting and lots of deadlines and then it kind of gets to the stage where it almost feels like a fantasy like it's never going to happen and with clara we'd waited nearly five years with michael we we went on to another process that clara would then be eight years old by the time she had a sibling so i think with both processes i don't know how naomi and ruth Felt, I'm guessing their 
faith was Ruth's faith was maybe a bit stronger than mine. But I think with Mark and I, we got to the stage where uh, we'd lost our our sense of expectancy. You know that how, when God would come through for us, we got a bit despondent just because it felt so arduous. And I suppose with all the other stuff that we were dealing with, um, and yet what do they say the darkest hour of the night is just before the dawn isn't that it mark used to say that and i think that's totally true it was certainly true in our case because to hear about our children to hear about clara and i think god's god's amazing because he he does the extraordinary on really ordinary days you know just to to phone columbia and get that news that there was a six month old baby girl waiting for us there it was just staggering i mean you just couldn't take the words in um it was like it was like the shekels were being cut off rick that's the only way i can describe it it was like the the childlessness the weight had been over and during these processes we can say we know that god is good and i suppose we had to get to a place where with our grief and with our waiting that God is good. And if he doesn't come through for us the way he, we want, that he is still good. Mm. But I suppose our, our ultimate desire was still to, you know, have children in these bedrooms. Mm. Um, but to, to uh, you know, I just remember going to Dublin to fly out to Columbia to get Clara and Mark loves Christmas. And he just said, it's, it's Christmas morning. It's just like Christmas morning, you know, mm. and just even the physical journey on the plane, what do, I don't know anything about looking after a six month old, but that day, that, that morning when they, you know, I, I, I was reflecting on this after you and I had spoken and, you know, um, they were about to bring her in to meet us and uh, we had to sign some papers and they said in Spanish, you know, madre, padre, mother and father. And I just remember that moment of signing those papers and thinking, God assigned this time a bit like Boaz and Ruth's anointed time, not a minute too early or late. And God did that with us. And when the social worker came up the stairs with Clara in her, in her arms, it's no different to you seeing your child for the first time. Um, to just look at her face, it was just like God restored everything to us that we felt we had lost. Um, you know, and when Michael, when we heard the news about Michael, I'd done a bit of writing about that and I was reading it last night and it was just an ordinary Friday. That's what I called it. It was just an ordinary Friday that the social worker rang us and um, to go into a room with a hyper four year old and and his his foster mother said uh, to him now, who are this pair here? Do you know who this is? And he's like, that's my mum, dad. And, you know, just the favour of God on all of us, not just us, but just the kids and um. I would just encourage anybody who's waiting, just hold on, because I suppose you always wonder if your waiting will be wasted, you know, so I just want to encourage those who wait for whatever, that it isn't, you know. Yeah. Thank you so much. Like, just, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's in the middle of all of the pain, it's it's beauty hearing, you know, and it's almost like the, the book I've sort of said earlier, like the the book of of Ruth whispers this to us, you know, that there is there is beauty that can come out of the brokenness and it doesn't even take away the pain, but it, it there's, there's something comes out of that, you know, and just our, our time's gone. Um, but 
is there is there any sort of scripture or, or, or verse that just has um sort of been really significant for you during this this journey yeah there's there's been a few things i think on the mystery of god um you know his will i, I love a quote from uh, elizabeth elliott she said you know um god's sovereign will a mystery that could not be mastered an experience that could not be classified you know it's something that we don't know and again just the not knowing and the questions i'll, I'll be two seconds um habakkuk three when i went when we were waiting for michael and it looked like Colombia wasn't going to be an option for our second child. I went there for 10 days and when I was there, every door was closed and I suppose we knew that it wasn't going to happen. And Michael ended up being a domestic adoption here in Northern Ireland, which was just amazing. But my mum sent me this passage when I was there and it's Habakkuk 3 and it says, Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Saviour. And again, you know, the figs, the, the vine, the oil, all the stuff that all the things that sustained life there, they were all gone. And it's when you're in that dry and arid place. And yet it's that word yet, isn't it? It's just yet I will rejoice despite all this stuff and all the questions. Um, you know, questions that 20 years ago we had about Graham and we still have now, and yet I will rejoice. And so mourning and hope can sit together. I I do remember Phil saying that once, and I, I think that's what that passage shows me. So I just want to encourage anyone who's waiting to hold on, anyone who's being a Ruth, to keep doing that, and anyone who's struggling to just keep go, hoping in a God that, that doesn't disappoint. Hmm. Oh, Claire, thank you. And like... We even just as a as a church family, we are so thankful that you are part of this, this family, you know, and Mark and the kids, you know, so and, and the life and what you bring. So and thank you just for sharing this morning. We really, really thank appreciate you. that. Thanks so much. Thanks. See ya. Um. Mark, I know that Claire will be running away from watching herself on any screen or on online, but please, just for you as a family, just thank you for sharing all of that with us. We really appreciate it. Our time is done. Um, can, we, can we pray together? Um, I just want to, and I want to just, as we pray, leave a couple of moments. Just, you know, sometimes when we make decisions just within our, our life, we, we have a moment, and almost like that critical moment where Naomi's going, go home. And Ruth goes, I'm staying and clinging on. And I would just love to leave 30 seconds for people that are in that place that are going, I'm just making my decision to cling on. And yet I will rejoice. And yet I will praise you that even through my circumstances, I'm choosing to believe that you are still good and that your waiting and your clinging won't be wasted. Um, can we just take 30 seconds as we close for people that want in their own heart, in their own mind, to make that decision so that we don't walk out the back door and it drifts away? Um, but just 30 seconds in the stillness and then I'll pray and then we're, we'll be finished. Father, we thank you for your great power 
We thank you and for your love towards each one of us. And we thank you for your goodness. We trust in your goodness, God, that you are good. And God, even in those moments of our pain, of our disappointment, of our brokenness, that you are still good, God. Holy Spirit, would you give us the strength to cling on when we don't have any strength left? Holy Spirit, would you make us aware of the people around us that are clinging on, that maybe feel on the outside, that feel broken? And God, may we give them the welcome. May we make space for them as you have made space for us. God, we really love you. May we be aware of your presence even as we move out from this place. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.